Do you know the one category of tools nobody ever talks about in your woodworking shop? Oh, sure, there's plenty of ink used talking about joiners and table saws and routers and chisels. Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff on chisels. But what about mechanics tools? Things like wrenches and vice grips and punches and things like that. You never read about any of those things in the woodworking magazines or even the woodworking books. But I don't see how you could go through a week without having a good set of mechanics tools. Last week we talked about jointers or the lack thereof, and a couple of you may have actually bit the bullet and ordered yourself a joiner. Maybe one of the the six-inch models that don't take up very much room and actually can do quite a bit of work. But they come on these skeleton-type stands that is all packaged in a nice styrofoam container that you have to take everything apart, remove all the plastic bags that are protected in, and put this thing together. But if you don't have any mechanics tools, you're not going to be able to do that. Hi, my name's Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, where I try to get you to take your woodworking skills out into the community, helping your fellow neighbors solve all kinds of problems. Fixing broken rocking chairs, building a kitchen table, maybe even an outdoor pergola. So what kind of mechanics tools do I have? Well, over the years, I've accumulated quite a bit, actually. And if you're just kind of starting out, not real sure what you need, I would say the first place to start is with a good set of wrenches. Wrenches come in all different shapes and sizes. An adjustable wrench, or the brand name that I grew up with was Crescent, will fit literally any nut or bolt out there. Doesn't matter if it's imperial or metric, like the rest of the world uses. I have a, a small crescent wrench that sits in the little benchtop, you know, caddy that I made. And I may not use it every day, but I probably use it every other day. It's handy. It's right there. I have some larger crescent wrenches that come in real handy whenever you have to change the bearing on your table saw arbors. That has enough length, enough leverage that you can really move some stubborn nuts whenever you have to tear something apart. And of course, I have some straight wrenches, some open end, some box end, and a whole bunch of combination wrenches. These will have both the open end and the box end. There's just all kinds of situations that creep up where one actually does a little better job than the other. And having that combination kind of saves some money. You don't have to get, you know, really carried away. After all, we are woodworkers. But a good combination set, yes, in both metric and imperial, I'm afraid, will come in very, very handy. The other wrench that you should probably invest in is a good set of Allen wrenches or hex wrenches. I would recommend buying these in a set. They have some type of a little holder a little caddy keeps them all together. You don't end up losing the, the three-eighths in behind the, the table saw, you know, never to be seen again. And on, like, my Woodmasters and Bandsaw, I use a little rare earth magnet 
and just keep the Allen wrench right there for making those adjustments that you have to do virtually every time you do a new setup. Allen wrenches are not very expensive. If it's something that you're using a lot, I have found that the, the T-handled hex wrenches come in very, very handy. What about a socket set? You know, the, the ratchet set? Yeah, they're not terribly expensive. I would definitely pick up one of those. You don't need a really big one, you know, like half inch or three-eighths drive. A little quarter inch would probably get you through most things or compromise with a nice three-eighths drive ratchet set. How many sockets should you have? Well, I think if you covered all of the 16th inch in imperial size, you will do just fine. And you can pick up a metric set that doesn't have that many sockets in it, and it covers a wide range of everything you'll probably run into. Other tools I have in my mechanics toolbox, a set of good screwdrivers, Phillips straight. Sometimes you can't use an impact driver on everything. You have to reach for that manual screwdriver and go old school. If you pick up one of the screwdrivers that has the interchangeable bits, those are really, really handy. You can switch between various sizes of Phillips bits and Torx bits or the star pattern is popular in a lot of appliances we use, such as shop vacs. I've replaced the bushings on my shop vac so many times, and I can reach in there with a Torx bit and start taking things apart. It's really handy to have a set of bits that makes it very easy to, to interchange. Hammers. Don't be using a, a claw hammer, a carpenter's hammer, to try to beat off a nut. Reach for a ball-peen hammer, a proper mechanics hammer. They're smaller, they're more compact, you can get them into tight places. They just work so much better. And now here's a little thing you can do with a ball-peen hammer. Make sure the ball part of it, that's the semi-hemisphere side, is nice and smooth, and you can beat on a piece of wood to add some decoration. I've seen people make a drawer front out of like maple that they have peppered with their ball-peen hammer to create dimples in it. And with a coat of finish, it looks really, really cool. I probably wouldn't use a water-based finish. That would tend to swell those fibers, and you might lose some of those dimples. Play with it. Experiment with it. It can be a lot of fun. I favor a cross-peen hammer, and the style that I have was called a Worthington it, it has a, a heavy striking head, but also the cross peen. It's flat, and it's really handy for setting little nails, little tacks, because you can hold the tack without crushing your fingers quite as much. I have a couple different sizes in that. Very, very handy. Pliers? Yeah, all kinds of pliers. My channel lock pliers get a lot of use. These are the ones that can expand to quite a large opening to, to get it around stubborn things like maybe bottles of CA glue that you can't get the, the stupid cap off of. That does a, a, a really good job. Vice Grips, trade name for a locking plier. I don't know where I would be without vice grips. I have various different types. I have, you know, the standard vice grip and also the wide bill 
or the duckbill vice grip, and also a, I think they call it a two-prong vice grip that finds a lot of use in my uh, canoe restoration work for for clamping things together while I, I set a screw. What about cutting metal, tin snips, or aircraft pliers? These come in right and left hand, and also a straight very, very handy for snipping, you know, pieces of tin or even brass that you might be doing an inlay with or something like that. And speaking of cutting metal, yes, hacksaws. I would recommend buying two hacksaws. That way you can have a fine tooth blade on one and a medium or coarse toothed blade on the other. Sometimes we're cutting PVC pipe for rigging up some type of a contraption for a vacuum and that medium or coarse hacksaw blade is just going to walk right through it where if we're having to cut a bolt off, the the fine tooth is going to work much better for that. And a set of punches. Have you ever tried to drill into a piece of metal with your handheld drill and the drill bit just skates all over the place? Well, you need to punch the piece of metal before you drill it. And there's all kinds of different punches out there. There's just a straight conical punch that you set with a hammer. I'm a big fan of the snap punches that have a a spring built into them that you either pull the spring back and release it and the inertia sets the, the point or I have a very old one, I think, that my uncle gave me that you simply push in, push in, push in, and then the spring shears and drives the point home. That is really, really handy. I use that a lot of times even on wood so that I know exactly where that Forstner bit is going to, to start. You can also get a set of blunt punches that have a just a flat tip on them. These are good for aligning different things. And also, if you're into wood carving or something, you can use these punches to make some very decorative effects in your in your carving, particularly your ground, that you may not be able to get a chisel in there and smooth that out. You can punch your background to, to give it a, a, a very cool effect. Lubricants. You have woodworking machines. They need to be lubricated. Of course, no shop would be complete without a uh, little can of 3-in-1 oil. Use those for everything. If you're having to drill metal, you want to lubricate that drill bit. Just a couple drops of 3-in-1 oil will make a bit just drill straight through the metal without a whole bunch of smoke and squealing. And it saves the life of your bit. It really reduces the wear and tear. White lithium grease is a favorite for, you know, bearings or moving parts, something that the oil is just not going to be quite heavy enough. And there's all kinds of spray lubricants out there. WD-40 is probably, you know, the, the best known. There's a lot of different uses for it. One word of caution with that is there is a type of WD-40 that has silicon in it. And I don't like silicon in the workshop. If you get that on a on a piece of wood that you're trying to refinish, your life is just not going to be good. But the standard formula for WD-40 doesn't have that silicon, so it shouldn't be a problem. I like to use a, a triglide spray lubricant. It, it actually has graphite in it, and for like the, the trunnions of my, my table saw, I can just stick that in there, the little 
tube applicator and give it a couple quick spurts and it loosens everything up and everything moves so much easier and it doesn't seem to attract the the sawdust uh, the way WD-40 can. Some other things that are nice to have, um, a one, two, three setup block. I personally don't have one, but they look to be really handy. It's basically a machined piece of steel that is one inch thick, two inches wide, and three inches long. There's all kinds of different things that you can use that for. You can use it as a square to set up your fence on the the joiner or to check your table saw blade for square. It just looks like a really handy tool. I'm going to have to get one. And speaking of table saw setup, a dial indicator comes in really handy. This is basically just a little instrument that that has a plunger connected to a rack and pinion mechanism that makes a hand on a dial spin around. And as you push the plunger, the hand moves and you can get down to thousandths of an inch. If you have to set your miter slot on your table saw to be absolutely parallel with the saw plate, this is what you can use. You don't have to use it, but it comes in pretty handy. Usually these will come with a magnetic base that you can turn on and off and move around with connecting arms that are very, very stiff and very, very accurate. They also come in handy for setting your knives on like a joiner or on a planer. Lots of uses for the dial indicator. If you're a little suspicious that your drill press may be... Acting up, you can set up the dial indicator and turn the spindle to see if it's running true. Sometimes you can get a little run out on the drill press that you introduce a wobble into it, especially at the higher speeds. Use a dial indicator to test for that. So do you have to run out and buy all these things tomorrow? No, not at all. My recommendation, as always, is to buy tools when you need them, not when they're on sale. You may think you need something that's on sale. Wow, look at that deal. I can't pass that up. And then it sits in your shop for the next three years until you finally give it away because you've never used it. Buy things whenever you need them. It's a much more economical way of doing it. Or you can drop a little hint around birthdays, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas. Boy, it would be really nice to have a one-two-three block for the workshop. Hmm, you never know. It could happen. Also, check out auctions and yard sales. There's always tools at auctions and yard sales. Even if it's like a jewelry estate sale, there's probably some tools there someplace. And these things can be very high quality, even higher quality than what's manufactured today. And they can go for literally a couple bucks. Or you buy one of those cardboard trays that has like 27 things in it and you paid $3 because nobody else wanted anything in there. That's where you find your left-handed monkey wrenches. And family especially as, you know, people are starting to to get older, you know, the boomer generation is is starting to uh, you know, get out of the trades. They have tools and a lot of times if you just ask, you would be surprised, you know, what you can come up with. Or 
If you have family members that have passed, they may have an entire workshop that needs to be disposed of. I have several tools for my uncles and my my grandfather that, you know, I use all the time now. These become literally family heirlooms because a good tool is going to last a very long time. So what about quality? Do you need to pay top dollar for tools? Should you only be looking at wrenches from Snap-on or Matco? Mm, Those are incredibly good quality tools. And if you're a professional mechanic, that's probably what you're going to to be buying. What about Craftsman? You know, Sears Craftsman line was world famous, but well, Sears is really no more. And Lowe's has purchased the Craftsman brand and you can find them still at the Lowe's big box stores. I have several old Craftsman, you know, wrenches that are still going strong some 50 years later. How about Harbor Freight? Yeah, they're okay for occasional use. Okay, send hate mail to roger at working at woodworking.com. No, seriously. I mean, if you just need something that you're going to use once or twice a year, yeah. I mean, it's not the best quality in the world. If you're a professional mechanic, you're probably not going to, to use them. But for once or twice a year, I don't see a problem with it. Save a few bucks. Now, whenever you get your set of tools, I don't want you to be selfish with them. If you have kids, if your neighbors have kids, if you're an uncle or an aunt, share your tools with kids. Tear something apart. This is not exactly, you know, woodworking advice, but there's just something about finding an old lawnmower and having a couple eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds there with you. They will tear into that thing. Probably the first thing they'll pick up is the ball-peen hammer. Maybe redirect them to a three-eighths-inch box-in wrench and point to the bolt that they need to take out. They can entertain themselves for hours. I would recommend making sure the gas tank is is drained you know, before you start into this. Uh, oil, yeah, they're going to probably pick up some oil and some grease, but hey, kids wash up just fine. And they will remember these type of things, well, literally for the rest of their lives. And who knows, it just might spark something in them. And they end up becoming a, you know, technician for EV car manufacturing plant. You never know. But exposing kids to a new adventure like this could be just the ticket. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to hide the toaster and the vacuum cleaner. Because, well, things can get get out of hand. So there you go. Kind of a simple, sweet little episode on something you probably haven't been thinking about very often. But build yourself a, a good mechanics tool set. It'll come in handy. And the next time that the police pull you over for a broken taillight, well, you'll have the tools to be able to replace that and save yourself a, well, few hundred dollars at the uh, at the mechanic's shop. Recommendations for this episode? Ah, I don't really have any. You can research online or YouTube for pretty much anything you, you want. In fact, if you are a little mechanically inclined, you can research YouTube and fix just about anything on your vehicle. I have saved 
hundreds of dollars by letting my my fingers dance over the keyboard and I figured out how to do something. Buying the parts for, you know, $35 and spending 45 minutes taking something out and putting it back in and, and saving literally hundreds of dollars. Missed jobs for this week. I had a person email me about pergolas. They wanted three pergolas built in their backyard. Now, this is kind of getting outside of woodworking, but it's well within most people's skill set to kind of venture into technically we'd call it carpentry. But if this is a an area that you have some skills in, you can really do some very, very good work and make some very, very good money. A lot of times these jobs are too small to attract a, you know, like a rough carpentry crew or a contractor's just not going to, you know, to take the time out of their busy schedule to, to do for them a very small job. But that's something that could be right up your alley. And there's a whole bunch of projects that you can do, you know, in addition to pergolas, maybe arbors or porch swings or bed swings, flower boxes, garden sheds. Explore that idea if you have the interest and the and the skills and you need an excuse to buy some more tools. Now, I do have one request to make of everyone. This is episode 49 and I'm very quickly coming to a one-year anniversary. Wow, time just flies whenever you're having fun. I need your questions. I'm starting to kind of get a little thin on on topics. I still have maybe half of a half of a dozen. But please send me your questions. I still have a, a few on the drawing board. But I would love to help you out wherever I can. Special thanks to listeners in Indianapolis, Indiana and Frankfurt, Germany. Very much appreciate it. Be sure to check out the show notes for affiliate links that might be of interest. And as always, you can support the show by buying me a cup of coffee. Until next week, happy woodworking.